Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Woman Up Podcast. I'm your host, Carly Goodhart, registered nurse and aspiring Miss America. I have dedicated my life, both personally and professionally, to improving the health of every woman I encounter. I am so excited you are here to be a part of this amazing journey, and I can't wait to help you woman up, take charge of your health, and become your best you. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Woman Up Podcast. We have a very special guest with us today. I am super excited to have Jenna with us on the podcast. She is the face behind the Instagram famous account, Nutritiously Jenna, and a registered dietitian and one-on-one women's health coach. So welcome to the podcast, Jenna. We're excited to have you. Yeah, awesome. And so excited to be here. So tell us a little bit about yourself, your story, background, and how you got into the women's health world. Yeah, so I'd say overall, I've always kind of just been interested in health in general, really kind of starting back, honestly, in high school. So just kind of really, I guess, interested in health in terms of, you know, you're in sports, athletics, um, focusing on nutrition, also helps schoolwork, all that kind of stuff. So really got big into just kind of following those general health recommendations in regards to, I don't know, focusing on what you eat, working out, so to speak. So started off kind of there and then eventually just really, you know, taking those recommendations to an extreme. So that started a little bit in high school. And then I actually went to college right off the bat was exploring going into the realm of pharmacy, which eventually though, I realized I didn't want to be on like kind of the non-preventive side of health. I wanted to actually um, help individuals with their health before they like ended up beginning any medication prescription, so to speak. So I um, switched my degree to dietetics and have loved it ever since. But yeah, kind of that about of, you know, taking health to its extremes about two years into my undergrad experience that very undernourished state led me to a place of depletion. I went about three years without having my period. And so that's really what got me down the rabbit hole specifically of women's health supporting hormones, everything of the sorts, so to speak, because yeah, once you go about three years without um, ovulating, you are experiencing some not so fun side effects. So I had lots of anxiety, um, depression, just lack of motivation for life. So that really, I guess, inspired me to look more to into the integrative side of things um, as well to help kind of just fix that root cause of why I wasn't ovulating and supporting health from there. So, yeah. I love that. So you talked about more like the integrative functional medicine. And I feel like as a society right now, we're way more focused on conventional and Western medicine and not a lot of people have the knowledge when it comes to holistic alternative medicine. And that's really where nutrition comes into play because doctors and physicians, while they have a ton of knowledge, they really have a limited knowledge when it comes to nutrition. And so many chronic conditions can be completely reversed by changing your diet. And I feel like as a society, we're just so over-medicated and undernourished. Would you agree with that? Yeah, definitely. Cause yeah, although 
I guess, don't get me wrong, conventional medicine totally has its time and place. But yeah, if you're really looking at the preventative side of things, it really kind of comes down to how you're nourishing your body, the environment, how you're just overall supporting your lifestyle. And although that seems to like basic, there should be a huge emphasis on it because yeah, at the end of the day, if you're looking to prevent certain health outcomes, so to speak, why not? Yeah. Start with the preventative side versus waiting till said disease or whatever kind of just progresses and then kind of wish at that point you would have um, invested or looked into more. Yeah. Those preventative health measures. Absolutely. So something that a lot of our listeners have had a lot of questions about is hormone health and you are the expert. So let's dive into hormone health. Um, just fill us with your knowledge. Yeah. So one, so excited to talk about this topic growing up. Sometimes it's almost like a taboo topic of hormones. Like women aren't excited to get their cycles. Like they think honestly, maybe view it as a burden, but like, I'm definitely here to hopefully debunk that for you guys. Um, just overall, yeah, in the integrative functional women's health space, um, the menstrual cycle is viewed or considered kind of the fifth vital sign in our body. Um, it can give us insight into thyroid functioning as well, overall like liver detoxification health and so much more. So it's just truly, again, hope you take away that it's kind of our innate insight as women into just the status of our overall health and well-being. So kind of next up, I could dive into maybe busting some menstrual cycle myths before we get into actually like each phase of the menstrual cycle. So it's important to know that all women don't have like that quote unquote 28 day cycle where they're ovulating on cycle day 14. So again, this varies woman to woman. Stress is a huge, um, plays a huge role on whether or not when you're ovulating, so to speak. Another one is that hormonal birth control doesn't necessarily balance your hormones. So if you're looking to get on hormonal birth control to balance your hormones, know it's actually shutting down the um, communication from your brain to your ovaries so that your body actually doesn't ovulate. So that's how it prevents you from getting pregnant is shutting down actual ovulation. So your body's not producing its own progesterone estrogen, so to speak. And I think the last myth I like to bust with women or help them understand that you experiencing those cyclical symptoms, although it's common with your period, like PMS, um, like PMD, huge kind of mood disturbances, although they're common in today's society, they're not actually like normal or something you want to be experiencing on the regular. What are the different phases of the cycle and what is to be expected during the different phases? So yeah, we'll dive into the different phases of the menstrual cycle. So there are four different phases of the menstrual cycle. However, I kind of like to think of it as two phases with two distinct events taking place. So the first phase is your follicular phase. So that begins when you menstruate. So what's happening during menstruation is there's a drop in sex hormones. And that's because during your previous cycle, obviously a pregnancy didn't occur. So your sex hormones are going to drop off. And this is what results in the uterus shedding its lining. So that's kind of the logistics of menstruation. What can you expect though while you're menstruating? It'll last anywhere between three to seven days. Typically it averages about five days for most women. 
kind of that normal blood loss is considered anywhere between one and a half to five tablespoons of blood loss. And during this time, it's okay to completely notice a little decrease in energy. Um, period poops are also a thing during this time, um, as there's more prostaglandins present in the uterus, stimulating contraction of that muscle, which can kind of overlap into the GI tract as well. But ultimately, we'll want you to be experiencing little to no cramping, pain, clotting, spotting. And if so, this kind of just indicates to us that we need to look into the different sex hormone levels. So that's when your follicular phase begins, and then it ultimately ends when you ovulate. So ovulate is kind of then the marker of when you start your luteal phase. So the luteal phase lasts anywhere between 12 to 14 days after you ovulate. And again, if you don't get pregnant, you will then kind of start menstruation again. So but I should note too, like the luteal phase, that's most associated with, again, ovulation, you produce progesterone. Um, progesterone is very calming to the body. Um, so you just might find yourself with a little bit less energy, a little lower mood, so to speak, but nothing kind of out of the normal during your luteal phase. So that kind of, yeah, just is a quick summary of each phase. Obviously we could dive into way more detail about each one, but um, yeah, just something important. I think every woman should better understand. So what are the different um, hormones that women should be concerned about? Um, and how do we go about balancing those levels and making sure that they're where they need to be? Yeah. So as I kind of mentioned during your follicular phase, estrogen is the predominant um, female sex hormone present during that time. Um, to, in today's society, the goal is really to prevent kind of estrogen dominance and how you do that is, um, through different like lifestyle factors, avoiding, um, endocrine disrupting chemicals, so to speak is I'd probably say the biggest just supporting estrogen levels. And then in regards to supporting progesterone. So again, that's the predominant hormone present during your luteal phase. And progesterone is only produced if the body ovulates. So here we're really looking to support ovulation. Um, so supporting ovulation can look like, of course, managing like stress levels. So that is huge. Um, ensuring you're prioritizing nutrient dense foods. Um, and then, yeah, just kind of going back to preventing estrogen dominance is a huge one there. Do you, what do you think is important for women to know about their cycle and like things that we can do like nutritionally? Yeah. So again, just producing hormones is a very like nutrient dependent process. So just, I share the term like nutrient dense foods because that like prioritize more nutrients per like serving of a food. So you're just you know, fruits, veggies, meat is very under or under um, estimated as well for the different nutrients it contains. So um, really kind of just prioritizing whole foods, honestly, are super nutrient dense. Um, so that's kind of the goal there. Specific antioxidants, which help support ovulation, vitamin E, vitamin C are kind of huge if struggling with ovulating a good recommendation I like to share with women. When you do like your one-on-one -on -one coaching, what deficiencies do you see to be the most common? 
Yeah. So in practice, like obviously as a registered dietitian, I don't, or under that scope of practice, we don't prescribe medications. We're really just working with like food supplement and lifestyle factors. So utilizing like targeted supplements, depending on what's going on with each client. Um, in regards to testing too, there's kind of two key tests I like to do. So, and to look into mineral and micronutrient status. So first up is a hair tissue mineral analysis test. So this really gives us insight into, again, minerals, which are like kind of considered the spark plugs of the body for different like metabolic processes, just like optimal energy, kind of think of minerals um, being important for. So yeah, see lots of deficiencies there when women have gone through long bouts of like um, burnout, adrenal fatigue, kind of whatever you really want to call it there, definitely depleted minerals, which then once we work on repleting them, see a huge increase in energy, digestion, and so forth. So that is one of, one of my favorite tests to run with clients because there's kind of just such a big, um, an exciting turnaround in regards to symptoms with supporting your mineral status. And then in regards to other micronutrients, you can do specific micronutrient testing. That's a little bit more spendy. So not always do we look into that because you can kind of just, again, when I share the recommendation to prioritize nutrient-dense foods, obviously then you're um, getting in a variety of nutrients via diet versus like prioritizing specific nutrients themselves. So what has been your biggest realization with hormone health and in helping women to live their best lives when it comes to their hormones? Yeah. So I'd say sometimes as women, we get so caught up in thinking about what we should be doing or making like, even to being so rigid with what we kind of think we're supposed to be doing to be supporting our health, but really kind of just what I want to recommend is not overthinking it. Just take action. Like the, it's the littlest things and decisions you make for yourself daily that have the greatest impact. So don't get caught up on things. Just if there's even one thing you can do differently each day, that's better than you just like sitting and not taking action and just contemplating things, so to speak. So that's a huge thing I'd see with most women. And then another thing is so many women are, which I think this is a great characteristic to a certain extent, willing to care for others before they actually like invest and care for themselves. So, cause again, that kind of can come back to being a huge, like depleter of our energy, but, um, you know, it's so important to invest in yourself in that area, I guess. Absolutely. That is something that I've always preached on to women. So let's talk a little bit about the thyroid, what it does, um, maybe some common thyroid disorders. So yeah, big thing with the thyroid or like how I like to teach clients about it is it's kind of sets the stage for your overall metabolic health. Um, as women though, it's important to know that the thyroid is very easily affected. Women are way more likely. I don't have the specific stat, but feel free to kind of just, um, search it. And it's very well known that they're just way more likely than men to be affected by thyroid disorders. Um, and that really kind of comes down to, again, our hormones kind of 
not necessarily, again, setting us at a disadvantage there and then going through pregnancy, so to speak, we're just a little bit more susceptible to, and again, not complications, but we need to be a lot more intentional with supporting our thyroid health throughout the course of our life. Um, so yeah, most commonly in practice, of course, we see hypothyroidism. Um, so just overall low active thyroid hormone. Um, when in practice, beyond conventionally, it's often just looked into TSH for, as a lab marker, but I like to run a full thyroid panel as we're getting insight into, of course, TSH, um, inactive, active thyroid hormone reverse T3, which can give us insight into kind of how stress is impacting thyroid health. And then also our thyroid antibodies, because although having thyroid antibodies present isn't necessarily indicative of thyroid dysfunction. It can give us insight though into our immune system health in regards to the thyroid. So when I was 11 years old, I was actually diagnosed with Hashimoto's, which is the autoimmune um, version of hypothyroidism, so to say. And I was prescribed um, a thyroid stimulating hormone and was told that that's something that I had to take every day for the rest of my life. And I didn't realize until I got into my twenties that your diet plays such a key role too in normalizing and balancing out those hormones. So what are some things that you can do for your thyroid aside from taking medication? Yeah. So cool that you found out like not necessarily too. Yeah. When you're diagnosed with Hashimoto's, does it need to be like a lifelong diagnosis, so to speak, because your thyroid antibody levels can change throughout the course of your life. So definitely why I encourage, um, women running a, th a full thyroid panel, probably at least once a year, um, is the goal. Um, but yeah, in regards to other recommendations there, just for supporting overall thyroid health. And again, kind of when you share about thyroid health, it can be replaced with metabolic health. So eating every three to four hours to balance blood sugar. So you're not producing stress hormones, which then slows thyroid hormone production. You want to have, or I guess overall thyroid health is very nutrient dependent as well. Like any hormone health we've kind of been talking about. So again, just prioritizing nutrient dense foods. Um, and then, yeah, in regards to kind of that Hashimoto's antibody piece in of thyroid health, again, it's not necessarily the thyroid indicating thyroid dysfunction, but maybe some immune system dysfunction. So looking into your gut's health as well is huge there. And just yeah, with all thyroid or hormone health as well, avoiding any kind of endocrine disrupting chemicals. Gut health is so important when it comes to your overall health. So how would you say that your gut plays a role in the health of your entire body? Yeah. So obviously digestion is huge for breaking down, absorbing different nutrients, um, immune system, like 70 plus percent of your immune system is found in your gut. So those two things alone are kind of huge there. Obviously, if you have any dysbiosis or overgrowth of bad gut bacteria going on, that can kind of almost be, I view it as like an energy sucker. <laughs> um, so you just might not be feeling optimal in terms of if your gut health is truly off. Um, if you're having constant bouts of diarrhea, obviously dehydration, huge piece there as well. So I feel like there's so many people that have different sensitivities or allergies, either feeling like you're lactose intolerant or something like that. And you're not, 
or the people that are, and despite that, they s- still like eat anything they want. So yeah, yeah. So if you start experiencing kind of food sensitivities and tolerances, so to speak, again, not necessarily does it come down to you having to restrict that food for the rest of your life. Um, really, the root cause approach here is looking into the status of your microbiome. So a test I like to use in practice is the GI map. So comprehensively looking into what microbes are present in your gut so we can gauge the number of good bacteria present. So if that's low, definitely affecting digestion. Then we can look into the status of your overall kind of the quote unquote opportunistic or bad gut bacteria. So if that's overgrown, totally impacts digestion, you're more likely to have different sensitivities, so to speak. So again, it's not necessarily the goal is for you to avoid those specific foods you're sensitive to for the long term, but it's actually to address the overgrowth that's going on. So then you can optimally digest food in the future and then no longer have to avoid the specific foods. So we know that getting all of your nutrients is super important, but what is your opinion on using supplements to achieve that versus getting all of your nutrients from the food that you eat? Yeah. So like with supplements, the kind of thing I'd want anyone to know is obviously there's different forms of nutrients. Some are more like bioavailable or um, more easily able to be used by the body. So I never like to have clients like blindly supplementing things because uh, more often than not, most products you're finding at like your general pharmacy, so to speak, are in that like optimal bioavailable form. So, you know, you can kind of view it as you want if you're honestly not absorbing most of that nutrient. To me, that's kind of feels like you're throwing away your time money on, on taking that specific supplement. And Honestly, a lot of what I like to recommend to clients too is prioritizing again, nutrient dense food. So you're kind of just hitting two birds with one stone by prioritizing getting in nutrients via foods versus all these in different individual supplements, so to speak. So, and most of the times other or specific nutrients have other cofactors involved. So again, eating them in the food form those cofactors are there. So I think what's important is to get away from like, again, individualized nutrients and working synergistically with nutrients is kind of what we're learning really in the integrative health space at the moment. What would you say to women who think like, oh, it's so expensive to eat that way, or it just feels like it is too time consuming to figure out what my body needs to eat my healthiest? definitely kind of have to pick your priority here at the end of the day. Um, Again, nutrition is overall like preventative health measure. So although it might not feel like you're getting this huge investment by prioritizing whatever the more nutrient dense foods right off the bat, it's kind of like a long-term goal, so to speak. Um, One of the best things or analogies I've heard your health kind of described as it's not a sprint, it's like a marathon. So we're really running a marathon, so to speak. So yeah, um, whatever you can kind of prioritize now will definitely is worthwhile long-term. Well, if people would love to connect with you, maybe utilize your one-on-one coaching or just um, learn more about women's health nutrition, um, where can they get in contact with you? 
Yeah, so feel free to just honestly most active on Instagram. So if you want to check me out there, I'm at nutritiously Jenna and there will also have the link to my website where you can learn more about what it looks like um, working one on one as a client. Otherwise, if you want to reach out to me directly, my email address is jenna.r.christensen at gmail.com. So if you have any questions too about working one-on-one, feel free to reach out there. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining us, Jenna. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Woman Up podcast. I hope this episode has empowered you to woman up and take charge of your health today. If you have any questions, comments, topics that you want to learn more about, or if you want to share your story, please reach out to me at carly.goodhart at womanupsd.org. Or you can find me on social media at carlygoodhart or at Miss Dakota Prairie SD.